your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to another day of Lacrosse Talk PM. I don't know why I talk like this sometimes, but I do. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line if you want to get in here and text me about something like, I don't know, Eric from Sparta isn't calling yet to determine what we're going to talk about today. That's what happened yesterday, which was kind of funny. I feel like maybe, did for those of you that listened to the station before my show, was that, and who who listened yesterday, we talked about mail-in voting for pretty much the whole show. Was that what Limbaugh or Hannity was talking about before we came on the air? Because I feel like that's what happened. And I had some funny some funny comments from, from listeners after the fact in how <laughs> the fear of change, the fear of the mail, the fear of mail and voting when we can we can vote when we could do everything else by the mail, but now that it comes to voting, we can't do it. Sad day today in Wisconsin. The Milwaukee Bucks lost to the Orlando Magic, who are terrible. They don't even have their one of their best players. And their other best player isn't... They don't have the... the their two top players are out. So I don't know how they, how they manage to lose, but they certainly aren't any good in this bubble. Man, the Bucks, the Bucks were so good at home. I think they had four losses at home this season. They have the best record in the NBA. They've lost four times at home. And they get to the bubble and they can't they can't do anything. They can't they hardly I think they won two games in the bubble. And it's just it's it's very annoying. <laughs> I'm very frustrated with the Bucks. Uh they they lose to the Magic by twelve points. And Nikolai Vucevic Goes off for 35 points, the center. Like, we have we have the best defense in the league. And uh, if you want to hear more of this talk, it's hard, it's hard not to talk about. It's the first game of the playoffs. The Bucs are the best team in the NBA. They have the number one seed. And the, when, when the playoffs happen, if you remember, if you think about the March, if you think about the NCAA tournament in March Madness, you always have these top seeds play the 16th seed, and it's ridiculous. It's always a blowout. I think it's only happened one time ever. Villanova, one time a couple of years ago, lost as a, a top seed. It's the only time it's ever happened. It rarely happens in the NBA, and usually these games end up a four-game sweep or maybe five maybe five games, a best-of-seven series. Uh, but the Bucks, the Bucks managed to lose to the Magic, and yeah, they have they have three wins in the bubble, three out of eight games. In this bubble, they play in Florida, so I'm very frustrated today. It's 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 baffling. <laughs> you can the magic. Imagine imagine the Bucks not having Giannis Antetokounmpo and Chris Middleton, their t- top two players, and then beating LeBron James and the Lakers by 12. That's what happened today with the Magic. The Magic are a terrible team. Clearly, they're not though. <laughs> Clearly, they're the best team in the NBA. All right, so Ron Kine's going to join us in a, in a couple of minutes here. He's running for Congress. I don't know if you've heard this. Yeah, Ron Kine. He's running for his 13th term. We could ask him about that. That's a long time to be running for Congress. Not running for Congress. To be in Congress, right? Uh, let alone running. Did Brad Williams in, in the Wisdom's newsroom was giving me some, some stats. 
on Ron Kine's history in in Congress. Just real quick stats, nothing to to dive, to dive deep into, but. Uh, Ron Kine's, cl- we can ask Ron too, but his closest challenger was Dan Kopenke in 2010. So Kopenke was a senator, if I get this right. Brad might sprint in here and tell me I'm wrong. Kopenke was a state senator, and then he ran against Ron Kine for Congress, and he lost by, Brad says, about 9,000 votes. So Kopenke retains his Senate seat, right? And then Scott Walker gets elected, and then Dan Kopenke loses his Senate seat in a recall election to to. Jennifer Schilling, friend of the show. That's sarcasm. Jennifer Schilling, not friend of the show. Um, so, so man, it's just like it's one of those things. Like maybe when Kopecky comes on, I'll ask him about that because you know his whole life could be different if he was in Congress right now. If, if Ron Kine's running for his thirteenth term, that could have been Dan Kopecky at least for f- the last five terms. Um, so we could ask Ron Kine if you got questions for Ron. Um, text them to me so I can sort them out. If you text them now, it'd be better. And I'm going to bring up some of the stuff that his challenger, Derek Van Orden, brought up on the show last Friday. We didn't have like a great conversation, Van Orden and I. We had a, we, we, we both talked to some degree, but having we didn't have a great conversation. And it was the first time we ever talked. But Van Orden's trying to get his, his agenda out there, what he wants to do. And from the conversation that I had with Van Orden, it was what he wants to do is tell you how bad Ron Kind is. Therefore, anything is better than Ron Kind. Maybe it's kind of what we're doing with the presidency. We tell you how bad Donald Trump is, and anything is better than Donald Trump. So, but the, whether whether you, want to, I think I just compared Ron Kind to Donald Trump is what I did. Uh, but Ron Kind's been in office since I believe '96, and he's only run against the sitting legislature. Legislator, legislator—it's a hard word when you legislature and legislator. Uh, he's only run against somebody that was holding a a, a seat in office. How about that? Uh, twice during these uh, twelve times and thirteen times too, because Van Orden isn't sitting in office either. He's, uh, you know, he's he's come out of the blue here. So yeah, we're gonna we could ask Ron Kine all kinds of things about uh, running again and and what he plans to do in his next term. We can ask him about his his uh, district, and I like to call it the bicep. If you see, I'm flexing in the studio. If you're watching on Facebook Live, the bicep district that goes up and grabs Eau Claire, goes over in the bicep, and the fist of the bicep grabs Stevens Point. Obviously, has UW Lacrosse, and then reaches down and grabs UW Platteville. <laughs> so, what do we? How do? How does Ron Kine pers- possibly win 13 times in a row, or at least you know the last? five terms, right, or four terms, is, is his his district grabs all the UW schools, right? And then, um, and he's not even, unless you talk to Van Orden, I would say Ron Kind isn't very, isn't that liberal. I would say he's he's one of the more meet, meet you in the middle type uh, government officials, which is pretty rare. So, all right, I'm going to let Brad do the news so we can get Ron in here. We'll be back after this on Wisdom. <laughs> All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM 608-785-7914. If anyone's got texts, their texts are coming in, so I don't. Sometimes it's hard for me to read and try to interview a congressman at the same time. So we'll see how that goes. I did get a good text from Rug from Trempolo, and I want to ask that. But Congressman Ron Kine's on with us, obviously running against Derek Van Orden, who I interviewed last Friday, 
And uh, you know, I, I I was saying before the before you came on, Ron, that the Van Orden the conversation with Van Orden was more Van Orden getting his points across, and then us having less of a conversation. It was, and it was the first time we ever talked. But I, I, he wanted right. to get what he wanted to get out there. Um, but we talked right right before the show too. This is going to be you're running this. This is your thirteenth term, and, and you know some people talk about term limits and and how long is too long to be in Congress. Um, the, the, the opposite side of that argument is, um, you know, if you had a boss that, that ran a company successfully for 20 years, would you tell him to resign? Um, what, what do you think of term limits? Obviously you're, you're opposed to them if you're running for, for a 13th term, right? Yeah, I, I am. And listen, we're all up for, in the House at least, we're all up for a job review every two years. So if the people are satisfied with the job you're doing, they can vote accordingly. If not, they can vote the other way. And that's what democracy is all about. But listen, this is what I've learned in my time in office. It's good to show up and just keep your mouth shut and just listen to people because there are a lot of good ideas back home here. Rather than spouting off and trying to score political points and divide communities and divide people, I think we need more listening in public service these days and finding common ground. And that's what I've been about, uh, Rick. And that's why the National Chamber gave me their very first ever national award for being the most bipartisan member of the United States Congress because of my willingness to work across the aisle, get in the room with my colleagues, find common ground, get things done. We need that in Washington these days. We need more of that in Madison, quite frankly, and in a lot of places in our local communities, given how deeply divided we've become. It's just not healthy for our democracy. I don't know the the district you hold. So I I always make fun. Of, I call your district the bicep because it reaches up and grabs UW Eau Claire. <laughs> it reaches over and grabs UW Stevens Point, and then it reaches down and grabs uh, UW Platteville, I believe. And then obviously yeah. you have UW Lacrosse, and I call it the bicep. Very liberal district. Why is this guy that runs down the middle a bipartisan congressman? You should be more liberal. Damn it, Ron. Why aren't you more liberal? <laughs> Well, actually, it's one of the last remaining swing districts in the nation. I'm very proud of that fact. It's it's roughly 50-50. It's right down the middle. And, uh, and that's the type of representation I've tried to bring. And that's why I've been working in a bipartisan fashion. Also, because it makes sense to do that, because with divided government, that's the only way you get things done. Uh, and yet we have so many people running for office who think their only job is to, is to misrepresent, to, to misinform, to divide people, try to divide our country uh, even more. And I just think people back home are getting sick and tired of that type of tactic and that type of person uh, in office or running for office. We deserve better from our elected representatives, and it starts with each and every one of us and, and trying to find those areas of common agreement uh, and get things done. I have my own agenda here to talk to you about, but the, <laughs> I, I will listen to the people here as I, I, as I wrote some of these texts down. Rug from Trempolo asks, he said, you, yeah. he knows you're a sportsman, and he said, and I, I talk about this every once in a while on the show, what are you doing to protect our public, public parks and lands from, he says, evil corporations, but... Um, I, I I will just bring up that I bring up this example a lot. The uh, the the canoe area the in in northern Minnesota. There's going to be a like a yeah. copper nickel mine. The, the boundary waters. The boundary sure. waters. Yep. I just slipped my mind what it was called. And I talked yeah. about that. And I had the uh, former DNR chief on. And and the idea that we're going to have a copper nickel mine and the, all the runoff is yeah. going to go right into the boundary waters. It's it's something in Congress you would have. You know, you it, it, I know it's Minnesota, but this is something that you could fight for, right? It is, and I have opposed that mining going up there because of the impact it would have on the pristine boundary waters. It's funny you mention it, Rick, because Tawny and I and the kids went up there earlier this summer for a week uh, to the boundary waters to get away from the virus and everything and do some fishing and canoeing and absolutely beautiful, and it brings in uh, millions and millions of dollars to the local economy uh, up there, too, from people from throughout the world 
that want to go up there and experience uh, that uh, wilderness area. So it is worth uh, supporting. But beyond that, I, you know, the, the caller in was right. I mean, I grew up in western Wisconsin. It's part of my DNA. I love outdoor recreation. I love to hunt, love to fish, like to spend as much time on the river as I can, duck hunting. I go backpacking all the time, uh, camping, biking. It's who we are as Wisconsinites. It's part of our quality of life. And so uh, this has been a major point of leadership for me in Congress, making sure we are protecting our natural resources. And we just passed a significant bill called the Great American Outdoors Act that will have major investment in our public lands, the largest in our lifetime, dealing with the backlog of maintenance in our national parks and wildlife refuges. And we did it with bipartisan support. President Trump signed it into law. I was the original sponsor of that legislation. I worked on it for years. And what's neat, not one taxpayer dollar is being used for any of this investment. It's all based on offshore oil royalty revenue that we collect from drilling offshore. And we and we turn around and invest that in the protection and preservation of our natural resources and our and our public lands. And it was a good bill. And we did it in a bipartisan way, and we got it done. And we're going to be able to move forward now on those crucial investments back home here. We've got three of the most beautiful wildlife refuges in the entire country, the Upper Miss, the Trempolo, and the Nacida, that are right in my congressional district. So, yeah, I, I care a lot about this. All I heard there, Ron, was offshore drilling, and then I'm like, no, we don't want offshore drilling. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is happening, but what's neat is we're able to collect fees and royalties for them doing it that we then reinvest in conservation and in, in pre- preserving our natural resources. So it's kind of a, a, an elegant way of trying to maintain balance in protecting our resources, knowing that uh, from time to time offshore drilling leads to uh, some catastrophic results. Uh, th- yeah, and this stuff is, is is stuff that I'm really into, and in how we protect our environment. It seems like the the EPA he's a f- EPA head, he's a former coal lobbyist, and it just seems like we're doing the opposite of what the EPA stands for, too, nationally. Yeah, you know, and they just opened up for bidding the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge today. As a matter of fact, it was something that, uh, in fact, the oil companies weren't even asking for. It became kind of a a a a uh, Captain Ahab white whale type of issue with, unfortunately, many of my Republican colleagues who were bound and determined to open up one of the very last pristine remote wildlife refuges in our country, the Arctic Wildlife Refuge, to oil and gas development. Now, we'll see whether those companies actually put in bids because uh, there's a rumor out there that there's not much much interest because we have a glut of oil already, you know, market prices uh, at really low levels. So it may not be economically even for them to go up and, and try drilling in that region, but it just shows you under this administration where they're taking uh, the policy and with complete disregard for our natural resources and the protection of these public lands. Is that something that if Biden won the election would be able to go back on or if once they bid on it and their bid is accepted, that's that's it. The company is going to own a piece of that refuge. Well, this was done by law when Republicans were in complete control of Congress and the White House. Uh, And so they were able to change that uh, in President Trump's first two years in office. That's when they controlled the House, Senate, and the White House. So they jammed that bill through, and now the president uh, is moving forward by opening up bids for the wildlife refuge uh, in northern Alaska. 
And at some point, we've got to recognize what Lincoln recognized, what Teddy Roosevelt recognized, FDR, that there are certain lands in our possession that are so precious that we're not going to exploit them for commercial benefit. And therefore, we set it aside and create national parks. We create wildlife refuges. And all of us as citizens of this great nation are co-owners of some of the most precious, beautiful, and expensive real estate in the entire world, our refuges and our national parks. And they're going to be protected from commercial exploitation. Exploitation, uh, and that's really what this is about. And unfortunately, President Trump now is opening up that refuge, such a terrible example, precedent, that could potentially open up more refuges and more national parks for oil and gas development. Yeah, Ron, I call him the president of unprecedented, so because everything <laughs> everything seems to, to hover around that word. Um, during the during the primary, Jesse Eben and Derek Van Orden like to call you out a lot about. Uh, uh, you know, they went to a lot of back the blue rallies and um, what is it? Qualified yeah. immunity. And the, you, you want to take that away, stuff like that. Uh, can, can you just explain what what the you know, the the I don't know if you want to call it a smear or what the 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 the, the outlook is on, on your stance on qualified immunity and and police officers? Yeah, I've noticed I picked up on some of that. It's a complete misrepresentation of where I am. First of all, I don't believe it's good policy to eliminate qualified immunity. My my younger brother is a police officer for Holman. I don't want nuisance lawsuits making serving in law enforcement intolerable and not worth it. It would hurt with recruitment. It would hurt with hurt with retention. Uh, and, and as a former prosecutor, I've worked with law enforcement in this area. I know they do a lot of good work. But I also believe, in light of Floyd George, George Floyd, that there's room for reform. There's room for improvement. And most law enforcement agencies back home here recognize that, and they want to do better community relations and restoring trust where it has eroded. I back the badge, but I back the badge of those deputies and, sh- and officers who show up who truly want to serve and protect their community without bias, without discrimination in a fair manner that people can respect and trust. But I can't back a badge that's kneeling on a guy's neck who's lying face down and handcuffed for over nine minutes until he dies. And I can't back officers who doctor uh, police reports, who conveniently turn off body cams uh, or cover them up at crucial moments, and who do... uh, discriminate and 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 uh, commit bias in their day-to-day activities. And what's more, most officers and deputies don't support that badge either, that they feel that there's no room for that in their profession. And so there is a lot of work of restoring community trust. I've reached out to a lot of the demonstrators uh, that, that have been going on here in Wisconsin. There's a lot of pain and a lot of anguish in, in light of past treatment, and uh, George Floyd in particular. And I've encouraged our sheriffs and our police chiefs to reach out in their communities, to open up those avenues of conversation, listen to what the people are saying, and be surprised when you run towards criticism how much you can address and how much common ground you can find to solve uh, issues or even miscommunications that are occurring. And I'm glad right here in La Crosse that, in fact, is being done with Mayor Cabot and Chief Kudrow. They're setting up these listening sessions right now for the community to participate in as far as improvements that they'd like to see. Yeah, there's, um, there's, so there's, there's work to be done here. Yeah, there's one tomorrow, uh, right after the show, tomorrow at 6 o'clock, and we'll, we'll, we'll be running it on our um, Facebook Good. video. Yeah. Um, you, you talk about Mayor Tim Cabot. He's, doing, he's, he's making a lot of cuts or proposing a lot of cuts uh, to city government to kind of stave off the, the pandemic, the, the, you know, the, the hit financially from the pandemic. 
Um, and aside from that, but you talk about, you know, qualified immunity and, and talking about the police. These are things that are Cabot's having a conversation with the city council about this thing. Why can't we just, we can have conversations with the police about these things as opposed to, yeah. you know, you know, we, we got to do this or we got to do that. But like, yeah, we, it's worth having a conversation about. Yeah, and that's exactly what I did over the last couple of months since George Floyd. Is I've reached out to the demonstrators in our community, those who are peacefully demonstrating, to listen to them and have that conversation. And that's why I also reached out to the sheriffs of the district, the chief, the police chiefs in the district, to get their feedback on what they think is working, what isn't working, where there's room for improvement and reforms, and so that we can work on this together because it's essential that we have good community relations with our law enforcement agencies. Uh, it's important to protect people, um, but it's also important for people to feel confident that the police will administer their duties without bias, without discrimination, without ill treatment of people who look or sound or act a little differently from them. Uh, And that's what this is all about, is having those type of conversations. Unfortunately, you know, my opponent wants to weaponize this politically. He wants to use this as a political punching bag and how to divide communities rather than seeking solutions by working with law enforcement, working with our activists and our demonstrators who are crying out right now to be heard. I did a march on the north side recently with um, high school activists from Logan who organized it all, and it was a beautiful event. Cars were stopping, showing their support. Police were there, too, marching along uh, just to make sure that everything was a peaceful demonstration, and that interaction was, was unbelievable, and the kids appreciated that. So there's work to be done, but it can be done as long as we're not looking to draw political fault lines and to separate people uh, by weaponizing this. Unfortunately, you know, my opponent has choos- chosen that route, and I suspect he's going to try to use that in the course of the campaign. Ron, that's a waste of time. Those high school kids cannot vote. You do not need to be out there. You need to be out <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Um, so well, you, you kinda... that may be true, but, man, the decisions we're making today are going to have a much longer-lasting impact on their lives than anyone else. So I go out of my way to also listen to them and to hear what they are saying because I represent them, too, even though they're not a voting age yet. Um, the the when when Eben and Van Orden were running in the primary, it it seemed to get a little heated. I think you even you got a little heated. Is that going to continue? I had a lot a couple of people text me and and call me and say, you know, I I don't like the smear ads. I don't like ads like that. I don't like hearing you know. Yeah. I, I and I don't either. I think I, I think it's kind of uh, I, I just kind of roll my eyes. I'm like, okay, you're you're attacking Jesse Eben for something that happened in 2010 and stuff like that. Um, right. Do you is it is it hard for you to try to to maintain like an even keel during a campaign like this, or do you see it getting a little bit heated as we creep into November eventually? Well, first of all, you know, I did have a primary opponent, Mark Newman, and, and we did not go negative against each other. It was just a discussion of policy differences and where we think we need to take the state and the nation. But all the heat was generated on the Republican side. I think Jesse Eben uh, resorted to calling Van Orden a liar and that he lies all the time. And I suspect, unfortunately, he's going to continue that in, in well, the general election. He, already- he was willing to do that against a fellow Republican. Imagine what he's capable of doing now in the course of the general election campaign until November. Well, so on no Friday, yourself. I think it's going <laughs> to get pretty ugly on their side. On Friday, Ron, he already called you a liar. Something about the, <laughs> the 18 sheriff, the call with 18 sheriffs, and, and you lied to them because you signed a bill to repeal qualified immunity, something like that. Um, so we, well, it's already happened. Yeah, that's just a complete misrepresent. He wasn't even part of it. I mean, I've, got, I've got the tape, and he wasn't even a part of it. So he uh, for him to make that allegation, it's it's just astounding and 
again, you know, as a former prosecutor, I know how this stuff works. Uh, qualified immunity, uh, making sure we get judicial review on no-knock searches. Uh, but what's ironic here, uh, Rick, is you know, President Trump is making this issue about defunding law enforcement, defunding the police, and how horrible that would be. But because of his resistance of providing short-term support to state and local budgets, this will lead to defunding our law enforcement agencies because our state and local budgets are being decimated right now. And the mayors, Mayor Cabot's of the world are having to make really tough budget decisions. And so... Uh, if, if there's one person you can actually point to who's looking to defund law enforcement, it's President Trump and the position he's taken on this next COVID uh, legislation that's being held up. And one of the main reasons it's being held up is because he does not support any funding at the local level, which would then be used to support law enforcement and firefighters and EMT and a lot of these essential services that we've got to have uh, in our communities. Do you, do you To get this legislation passed, a new COVID bill, the Senate went home uh, until September already. You guys passed the bill a long time ago. I know you've been called back into session over the postal service, but to get a, do you have to like literally talk to senators and and kind of wheel and deal to get a to get a legislation passed for another COVID COVID relief package? Yeah, you know the legislative process can be a bit messy. It's like you know, it's been described as sausage being made, but it, it is about communication. It's reaching out. It's talking to each other, seeing out, seeing where there's areas of common agreement you can work on, and where the lines are being drawn. And at the end of the day, there's got to be enough give and take and enough compromise on both sides to make it happen when you have divided government. And that's the style that I brought to my position. That's why the National Chamber uh, ranked me as the most bipartisan member and therefore the most effective legislator, because that's how you get things done. And too many of my colleagues and too many people running for office uh, bring with them this attitude where it's their way or no way at all. And that's a recipe for disaster for a democracy. In fact, it won't even work in families. You know, if I came home and told Tawny, listen, I got a great new idea on how decisions are going to be made in this family. It's going to be my way or no way at all. She'd bounce me out on the street on my butt in a moment's notice. That is not how you treat family members. It's not how we can run a democracy successfully with that type of strident uh, attitude where compromise is a four-letter word. I brought this up, and I'll just I'll let you go after this. But the the idea of like throwing a hundred different things into a, a COVID relief package, whether it's the Senate adding stuff to the Pentagon or the yeah. the House adding stuff to the, and I'm not sure, but like the Green New Deal is always the the key phrase I always hear there. Um, can we just do stuff like, hey, $600 to uh, people who are unemployed, let everyone vote on it, where you stand? Can't, why can't we do something like that? Well, we did. Under the HEROES Act that we did pass, it was all strictly COVID, uh, coronavirus related. There wasn't extraneous posi- uh, positions. Unfortunately, the bill the Senate introduced had $2 billion for a new FBI headquarters right across the street from the Trump Tower. Now, I wonder why that happened. It also had $10 billion for uh, defense uh, programs that Trump had taken the money out of in order to begin construction on the southern border. Uh, that is, has absolutely nothing to do with the coronavirus, and yet that was in their bill. And so we're telling them, listen, let's stick to the virus. Let's focus on that, and let's reach an agreement on that uh, so that we can protect people's lives uh, and start emerging by reopening this economy. But, so, yeah, I mean, there, there's been a reason why this leg- legislation has been held up, but hopefully we're going to be able to get together here in the coming days and get something done on behalf of uh, the folks back home here. But can we can we just argue about one thing and then everyone vote on it instead of having multiple? Just like one, okay, first issue, 
unemployment. How much money should we give people that are on extra money? Should we give 400, 600, meet in the middle, 500, pass that, and then go to the next thing? That that's just does, isn't how Congress works. Well, you know, when it comes to packages like this dealing with the virus, there are multiple issues that are in tandem uh, with one another, and trying to address it efficiently is one way to go. But the other problem we have, though, Rick, is that the Republicans in the Senate can't get on the same page. They don't have a majority just themselves to pass anything, let alone bringing Democrats into the conversation. In fact, the majority of their conference in the Senate has stated that they refuse to support anything new going forward that they're done. Ron Johnson is one of them. Not one more nickel to deal with the virus. And I'm hearing from my health care providers that they're running short of personal protection equipment, testing supplies. Uh, you know, I'm hearing from uh, um, uh, the public health directors of our counties that they need some additional resources, too, with contact tracing. This is the stuff we need to be doing to defeat this virus and keep people safe. And yet a majority of the Republicans in the Senate are done. They're not going to do anything. They're not going to support anything. And that's one reason why the White House won't reach agreement with us on anything, because they know that a majority of their own conference is a no on whatever whatever happens. All right. Congressman Ron Kine, I'm running really late. I, I appreciate it. Do you want to get just one smear in on Van Orden, or are you good? I'm going to say uh, go pack. There's still hope that we're going to have a season coming up. We'll see if uh, the NFL can pull it off. Don't they even can. mention the Bucks. Obviously, yeah. Ron, don't mention the Bucks. Today. Hey, uh, come on. This is it. This is our run. It, it starts. <laughs> it starts today. Well, it started today uh, with a tw- it started today with a 12-point loss, Ron. You got to Oh, man. I've been in meetings all afternoon. <laughs> I wasn't able to check the score. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks yeah, for joining yeah. me. Okay. All right. Thanks, thanks Rick. Bye. Uh, Congressman Ron Kind. All right. We got to we got to get the scouts coming the news. We'll be back in a minute. All right. Welcome back to the Cross Talk PM. All right, now you can get in here. 608-785-7914. You want to sound off on what Ron Kahn had to say? Give me a call. 608-785-7914. Quite a few texts. Quite a few texts, uh, you know, and then on top of that, quite a few texts about complaining about Obama, which I always think is interesting. (laughs) We're like four years away from Obama. We're still complaining about it. Obama and Cuba. But Obama, it's always, yeah. It's, it's a good deflection. It's, it's not relevant. I mean, we, if you want to complain about Congress, that's fine. If you want to complain about Trump, that's fine. If you want to complain about Biden's policies, that's fine. But Obama's gone, man. Let's move on. Uh, some of the texts I got here, I just I wrote a couple of down. And they're still coming in. And it's, it's uh, Joe, Joe texted... Uh, that's two liberals who have come on your show and told us they know better than us. The mayor and kind exclamation point. Wow. Time to go guys. Bye Felicia. And I text Joe back by exclamation point. As long, as long as he's throwing exclamation points at me haphazardly. I don't know why he's yelling at me with exclamation points on text. Uh, so apparently if I have, Tim Cabot on the show, who's the mayor of lacrosse in a radio show based on mostly the city of lacrosse issues. That's reason to not listen to the show. And then if I have the congressman who represents the district that contains lacrosse, also by Felicia. Uh, Joe, you weren't complaining when I had Van Orden on Friday. Did you text by Felicia then? I mean, he's running for Congress. 
And, you know, we, we shouldn't have these people on that represent us in the city and the, in the district, in the state. What's going on? Like what? <laughs> uh, do you know, another texter said, do you know, or could you find out and tell us where my money would go if I send it to black lives matter? I think this was a question I was supposed to ask Ron Kine. So let's pretend that Ron Kine's on the on the phone still, like our congressman in the third district. He's running for Congress, but he's still a congressman. So this is uh, okay. This is an issue somebody's having. Ron, do you know this texter texted in and asked if you knew or you could find out where this person's money would go if they send it to Black Lives Matter? And Ron would probably say. I believe the money would go to Black Lives Matter. Well, and if you don't know, then why are you sending your money to Black Lives Matter? What, is, what kind of question is that? It's funny. 608-785-7914. Eric from Sparta's calling in. Eric, you're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to ask uh, Ron Kine about how much money he's made since he's been in Congress. And of course, in my calculations, over $4 million of my money, taxpayer money, What's his position on abortion, or Planned Parenthood? And um, how many votes was, uh, does he support the assault weapon ban? Of course he does. He's a sportsman, of course he does, because they don't like the things, so they look different. And uh, how come he supports Nancy Pelosi all the time? Every bill she writes, she supports her 100%. Thank Are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> it sounds like, Eric, you might need to do, I, I, I don't have a fact checker on me, so. But uh, yeah, this all sound like some, some uh Outrage talking points that that aren't really relevant at this point. Um, let's a, a couple more texts here. Uh, there should be term limits for Congress, no more than two terms. This is always an interesting conversation. Should there be term limits, uh, w- whether it's Congress or the mayor? Or, I don't know. I mean, we do vote for these people every two years. I feel like maybe if we're going to have term limits in Congress, then should Congress's terms be longer? Two years is a, is a, isn't a lot of time, and I feel like the way politics is now, and you know, if you, I, I feel like this is, you know, it, Donald Trump did this when he was elected. Like he started the rallies right away, right? Like he just started the campaign rallies on, you know, ten days into, <laughs> whenever, and they were kind of like celebratory rallies. Hey, I won the presidency, but also, but, but. You know, in in terms of Congress, they run in, they run every two years. So the the last what is it? The last year of their term, they've they've got to start campaigning. They've always got to be campaigning, right? Like at this point, you if you're not campaigning, you're not going to win. Um, and so so if we're going to limit terms for Congress, then then we need to extend those terms. I mean, the Senate's terms are six years long. Is that too long? Maybe we need to limit. The Senate's terms the two years since it doesn't appear like the Senate does a whole lot and they're in there for six years. So we can't do anything about it for six years, at least in Congress. Every two years, we get to vote them out if we want. Hasn't happened in Ron Kine's district, but Ron Kine's district goes and grabs. I mean, he talks about it being a, you know, kind of a down the middle district. And maybe that's true, but it grabs four UW areas where students go, you know, like younger people and younger people tend to be more liberal. So if you're mad about this, then, you know, be mad about the, the, the fact that the district is gerrymandered for Ron Kine to win. But are we, 
if we're gonna if we're gonna vote out Congress every two years and we're gonna have term limits, so they they can only go run four or five times or one time or two times in a row, so four years they get it and then they're out. That would be a lot of learning on the fly to figure out how Congress works and and what I got to do and how to write bills and. Um, but what about voting out all our leaders after two years? What what if we do that instead of just like no, you don't get to run again? What about all our bosses? Should we be able to vote them out every two years? The company, the CEO, we're going to vote out the CEO of McDonald's two years in. Or maybe you only get to be CEO for five years, then you got to get out of there. I mean, or is this, or these people that, that, you know, kind of climb the ladder into p- positions of leadership, do they have that experience? And eventually they're in that top position and, you know, they're, they're more experienced than everyone else. So... Uh, Kent also texted in, Ron, what is your take on all the violent protests in Democrat-run cities? Just the Democrat-run cities. But not he didn't want to know about violent protests in other cities or nonviolent protests. Maybe we should ask Ron about the... Oh, we did ask him about the protests. And he talked about the protests here in La Crosse. And, he, you know, the, the idea of going to protest with students what is he thinking i guess eventually since he's going to run you know forever because this is going to be his 13th term i guess eventually those students will be voters and they'll remember that ron kind was out there with him right he's playing the long game folks all right we'll be back in a minute all right just wrapping up here on the cross talk pm a couple of texts coming in yet thanks to ron kind for joining us I'm going to try to do that, even Steven. I didn't do that for Van Orden. I just, I, re- I forgot the mayor was coming on, so Van Orden wasn't able to, I got Jesse Ebbin on, but I didn't get Van Orden. I felt bad about that. But as we go into November, I'm going to try to do that, even Steven. So if I bring Kapanki on, I'll bring Paf on. And at some point, we're going to, we're going to have a debate between these candidates. And that should be, that should be fun just to have them both out there especially in Congress, we're going to be calling each other liars and it's just going to, I don't I don't know if that's going to be fun. Actually. I kind of hate it when you, you call out your opponent. It's fine if you want to call out your opponent on something, but then the, the idea then is to have a solution to the something. So, I mean, Van Orden, it sounds like Van Orden's calling out kind on having conversations with police about qualified immunity but then saying things that kind says are untrue. And then it's like, well, all right, well, who's telling the truth here? And it just gets kind of frustrating. But, you know, like I back the blue is the easiest thing to, to say. But, I mean, we can have a conversation about limiting some of these these things or, or even just talking about, hey, what kind of processes do police have or do city are cities going through that we can streamline a little bit? Uh, another text said, uh, well, Rick, uh, just about Ron Kind, well, Rick, you would understand if you've been watching Kind for 20 years like I have. Ron is nowhere to be found until election time. What I suspect is in- internal polling shows that he is a real race this time around. He was surprised that Ron, uh, he or she, I guess I don't know, Ron reared his head on this show because it's election time. And I'll just say Ron has been on the show before and it wasn't election time. And Van Orden was on the show Friday. And so I reached out to Ron to have him on the show today. 
And then Beck texts in, why do you whine so much to your listeners? You are the host. I'm reading your text and I'm responding to them. If it sounds like whining, it's because I'm whining. But you're whining about my whining, so I don't know. There Now I'm whining about you whining about me whining. Uh, Joe, Joe said, uh, bye Felicia earlier because he's mad. Two liberals came on the show and then he, um, then he texted me back. So <laughs> I don't know. Seems like you didn't do the bye Felicia. Um, let's see here. I'm trying to read text. I don't have enough time to get another. Uh, I guess I can, I guess I can get another call in. Caller, you're on the air. Who's this? Uh, hi, this is Leah calling. Hey Leah, go ahead. You got a minute. Okay. Uh, earlier in the week on Wisdom, it was mentioned that uh, regarding the post office situation that Biden-Obama used some of the same tactic, tactics that Trump has computed, uh, can, I'm sorry, is, uh, has said he used this. So I'm wondering, is this true? And because I haven't been able to find anything about it. Yeah. And if it's true, it was never, of course, in the media, it was never uh, talked about at all regarding them. So okay. I would just like to know. Well, I think, uh, thanks. Thanks for the call. And I, I don't, I don't have a ton of information on, you know, we could have asked Ron kind about that, I guess the, the idea that the post office is, and I think there's news today that we're, we're going back on some of this post office stuff, but, um, the difference between Obama, so we're going to, you know, oh, but, but Obama did this and Donald Trump is doing this now, same thing, except that we're not in a global pandemic. So, you know, we, we have to utilize things that keep, help us keep away from each other, like the mail, a little bit. So, so if Obama, Obama was doing something, and I don't know if he was, I, honestly, it just, I, and I see some of these headlines, and, and I don't, I didn't, I'm not going to dig into it, because whatever, Obama, four years ago. Um, but, but Obama did something, and now Trump is doing it, so what's the difference? Pandemic, that's the difference. That's what I'll say about that. But there, are, but there is news out there that says the the postmaster general or whatever you want to call him is is going back on some of that stuff. Anyway, uh, talking to the Salvation Army tomorrow about homeless. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. Bye.